This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Rob Collins, the former Chief Information Security Officer at the Social Security Administration, and now currently the CISO at Agco Corp. Rob, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. So in many ways, Rob, this is a, a, an exit interview of sorts. Uh, you left SSA just recently, I, I think on, uh, if you correct me if I'm wrong, September 30th was your last day. And, and now you already started a new job. So I guess, why did you decide to leave and, 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 look and, and talk about the new position? Correct. It was out of the frying pan and into the fire, it seems, uh, going from uh, public sector to private. I, I felt like I had accomplished a lot in the federal space and was really ready to continue growing and really wanted to have a more of an impact on a global scale. Also, I'm ready to be more of a, a thought leader in the space wherever possible, where when you're in federal government, it's a little bit more reserved and cautious about speaking engagements, things like that. But I really enjoy the speaking circuit and sharing ideas and the future of cybersecurity. So excited to do that as well. This is the best platform to get you started, right? We'll, we'll get you warmed up and, and we'll show, show how, how you do on my Ask the CIO show. How long were you at SSA? Give us a little bit of your background. How long did you work for the federal government? Sure, I was at SSA for four years, just over four years. I started in federal government, I guess like many do, uh, as a contractor. I was converted to uh, federal at uh, the Food and Drug Administration as the compliance branch chief. From there, I went to the Indian Health Service, uh, where I served as the chief information security officer. I was there for roughly three years. And then on to the Social Security Administration as their CISO as well. And now for a new company, again, you hold that scissor role. It's a lot different. I mean, if it's agriculture, Agco Corp sounds like agriculture, that you're going to be in a whole different area of the cybersecurity. I guess, luckily, cybersecurity is uh, cybersecurity no matter how you, uh, how you bend it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. There are some definitely some unique challenges and opportunities with the new space that I'm going to. That's why I mentioned growth, because it is uh, definitely a growth move for me. Echo, you're, you're spot on. It's agriculture, so, uh, but it's agriculture on a global scale. Um, they have some major brands uh, in tractor manufacturing, things like that. It's really a global presence, so I'm uh, going to have some global travel and global staff that uh, I get to interact and collaborate with, uh, as well as global supply chain things like that, that really is popular with cybersecurity. One of the, also the big things that I'm looking forward to is the operational technology aspect of it, which I really wanted to kind of round out my portfolio with that. So I'm excited. Yeah, it sounds like a, a fascinating job. The OT side of the house is getting so much more attention. We see this all the time. Is that part of the job that, that maybe is, is, as you said, most exciting for you, but, but the, the biggest learn, where the biggest learning curve is going to come in? Well, first it's understanding the business because it is an entirely different mission serving a different customer base than Social Security Administration. But uh, it, it seems that they are moving forward with their own digital transformation things, really focusing more on the farmer. And um, so, you know, my first job is to understand the business there, to uh, see how um, product is made and then delivered and then supported to the customer. So um, that's, that's part of the challenge in a, a whole new space. But yeah, the operational technology aspects, the whole global supply chain. Uh, we had some... Uh, experience with uh, supply chain and social security. I think you actually did an article on it uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, that was shortly after I started. We had a supply chain decision, uh, which we successfully defended in court. I think we're one of the only 
civilian agencies that were able to do that. I do remember that story. One of those that I got by accident and kind of fell in my lap is a court case that someone had mentioned to me. So it was a fascinating story. Very early on the supply chain. I want to I want to take a little credit for being ahead of the curve on the supply chain. Let's actually talk about your time at SSA. Four years there. You know, what are some of your accomplishments? What are the things you worked on? Uh, SSA was definitely not one of the was a hard place for the outsiders to to get a good understanding of of all the successes you had. I guess one of the bigger things was collaborating in, with their modernization process. I mean, Social Security, of course, has been around since the 1930s. They were early in the game of information technology, not just being the printer, but uh, more of a driver. And um, being able to modernize to the current environment, I think, is, uh, is something that was a challenge for cybersecurity. But I think we successfully you know, met those goals and achievements, but uh, even more so on the identity proofing side. When I got there, we had just a large amount of failure rates with the old know your customer uh, approach of, hey, let me give you these questions that are hard for you to answer, but easy for the fraudsters to with the out of wallet questions. And we still had failure rates of roughly 50% with 30 million customers. Upon leaving, we have much higher success rates. We're in, you know, like the 70s or 80 percentile now with roughly 60 to 70 million customers. So it really is opening up um, the capability for customers to engage the agency on multiple different platforms, which hasn't been seen before. And this really kind of tied in, I think, into the successes that we had with responding, responding to the pandemic. So because we were forward thinking on that and modernized, we were situated well when the pandemic occurred. Let's talk about that identity proofing side, because I think that's a big challenge for all agencies. There's a big push, as you well know, for Zero Trust, for ICAM. When you talk about that you've had some 50% failure rates, 30 million customers for out-of-wallet questions, and now you move to 70 to 80% success rate with 50 to 60 million customers, what's that really mean? What did you do differently? Or what did SSA do differently? So it's, it's what we did and what we're still, well, what they're still doing, changing the way in which they do identity proofing first and foremost uh, to make it more secure. The out-of-wallet questions, again, they're hard for people to answer, but easy for fraudsters to, because a lot of times it's information that are, was found in breaches. So we changed that to you know, provide more secure proofing, having more tool sets uh, with really smart people that are uh, evaluating. So knowing what device you're using when you are attempting to make an account, uh, what information we use to verify your identity, like your driver's license, things like that. So just different data points and um, using that in real time to make informed decisions about whether you are who you say you are uh, when you come to create an account. And yes, it is a huge problem across the United States. Massive, right? Before social security numbers were your secret, right? If you knew your social security number, then pretty much you're going to create an account anywhere. And that's not in SSH charter, right? It's interesting that we don't really have an agency or, or function in the U.S. government that says provide digital identity for uh, the public. And I think that is something that really should be looked at in the future because there is no agency charged with that right now. And it's, yeah, you have some leaders in the space that are trying to make it happen, like login.gov, um, things like that. But really it's social security, I think is, already out the gate with, you know, the 80 million customers, secure identity. I think we did a, a stand-up job and we're visionary there. You're right. The old social security number. Remember uh, when we were younger, we had to remember our social security number because that was the way you proved who you were. 
And all of a sudden that became less valuable as the, the breaches built up over time and you had to move to something else. Is that what you mean by out of wallet questions or, or what do you mean by out of wallet questions? Those things like, but it goes a little bit farther. So what was your mortgage on this? If you had this account, what is it? What was your address potentially five years ago or, you know, things like that, which, you know, you and I trying to remember what that is. I don't know what my mortgage exactly, my exact mortgage payment is or uh, whatever, but the fraudsters do, they got it right there at hand. So that, that that's the problem with the auto wallet. Thanks for just clearing that up. I think we hear it and then we get, go right to a specific type of, of thing like your address, but you're, you're right. It's, it's a lot more. How is SSA today addressing kind of that challenge around identity proofing? What, what are some of the things that you helped initiate, helped work on to get away from, again, whether it's SSNs or those out of wallet questions? Yeah, when I started, I believe that identity started in cyber at the same time. It, it moved over from an operations perspective more towards uh, the security shop just to, to make sure that we were doing things in line with the public best interest and the agency um, requirements. So we focused on, again, what does the future look like for this? Like we knew that a 50% failure rate was not going to cut it uh, in perpetuity. So we, we tried to address, okay, well, right now, a lot of back-end work was being done on, in the anti-fraud space. We were having issues there. So it really was, how do we make it more secure uh, and allow more people to create those accounts? So we tried to, to look at it from the, how can we collaborate across the board? How can we get other entities who are also struggling to come to the table and, and work together on a solution moving forward? So, you know, with that, we did try to take the lead working with, in some cases, contractors to say, how do we proof better? Because the outer wallet's not going to work in the long term. And how do we migrate off of the outer wallet? Uh, and that's when we um, have worked with different companies that do some of that identity proofing, uh, specialize in that identity proofing type stuff where you scan your driver's license and then that is verified through backends, through the, the different state DMVs or motor vehicle divisions, and also looking more forward thinking. So we collaborated, we reached out to the post office and said, hey, can we work with you all on figuring out how we can do identity proofing in person at your different post office since you have such a great footprint uh, across the United States. So really it, it was, hey, can we leverage multiple entities that we know are doing things in, in some type of correct way that we can increase our user base faster with uh, better results? Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest today is Rob Collins, the former Chief Information Security Officer at the Social Security Administration, and now CISO at Agco Corp. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Rob Collins, the former Chief Information Security Officer at the Social Security Administration, and now currently CISO at Agco Corp. Rob, before break, we were talking a lot about your uh, work to improve SSA's identity and access management and some of the things you did kind of externally for citizens to when they interact with SSA. Let's maybe shift a little bit and talk internally. The CISO has a big role at any agency internally. And one of the things you really spent a lot of time focused on was having information security officers, the ISSOs. Why was that important to you and and what kind of progress did you make in, in implementing this type of approach to managing security? I think as you mentioned before about 
the business side. I think that anyone successful in the world really needs to understand the business and understand cyber's impact on that business. Operations is SSA for the most part, huge organization within SSA. I mean, just due to the amount of offices and, and processes that, that occur every year, but there wasn't necessarily um, cyber elements embedded there. It was, you know, let's, let's look at it after the fact or, you know, during the audits, but I really wanted to have a function that existed, basically cyber trained people that sat with the business who sit with the business, so understand the business uh, and can, can better shepherd questions or concerns uh, through the appropriate channels. Because in a lot of, a lot of times, cybersecurity is kind of like a box. You put stuff into it, but uh, you don't know kind of where it goes or, or it's not as transparent as that. So I really wanted to kind of open that up, provide more transparency about what it is that we do and how we do it and have a, a better, quicker and more efficient uh, impact to the actual mission. So um, that's where the information system security officer role came from. A lot of people say it's my mark on the agency that we got it. We had a, a very supportive leadership, executive leadership function that uh, allowed it to occur. And I think that we're already seeing some, some great results uh, having, I think the year one we pushed with 24 ISO, so 24 new positions that are cyber uh, security professionals that sit in the various uh, offices uh, within operations and provide that level of collaboration and support. 24 new positions. Was, was this done over the last year? Was this a couple years in, in the works? How, when did you start and, and what kind of reaction did you get when you said, hey, business operations, you're, you're getting a cyber expert? It started uh, making the pitches and, and building the, uh, the coalitions to make it successful. But I think we actually got the people last year was when it finally kind of worked through all the machinations of, of uh, government and we were able to actually get hires and put them into the different regions. So um, it, it really was a collaborative experience. It was showing the need and then, um, and then actually, you know, putting forth that uh, value and showing the return on investments uh, that has allowed the program to, to remain successful. Is 24 positions the right number or are those the, the highest priority operational areas, but there's 24 more that you could, that you could hire if you could? How is this kind of taking shape? Question, I think 24 was the right number to start with to understand more of any gaps that may exist or solidify the foundation for them to build on. Uh, that means communication channels, work streams that are, are standardized become that foundation of what the program can become. So in the future, do I think that it will grow? Yes, I do think it'll grow some, but I think 24 is the right number to start with. And how did you find these folks? Because number one, we know finding cybersecurity people is tough, right? These expertise is, is few and far between. But second, they also had to understand the mission side of it, which is always difficult because nobody does SSA's mission, but SSA. It's not like you're hiring somebody who knows tractors and teaching them cybersecurity or someone who knows cybersecurity and can teach them about tractors, right? I mean, this is so SSA is very unique in what they do. Yeah, and because we work so closely with the state-run disability determination services, each state kind of does things differently too. So it even adds a little bit of complexity to the mission there. So we were able to really hire people, talent, where they live. 
which is kind of new for cyber and SSA, but that was supported. So we were able to, um, you know, bring in some really talented folk, uh, both internal and external. So I was able to actually do external hires as well, which I think was a great benefit to the agency. But you bring up a, an excellent point about workforce, federal workforce, and how that's kind of changing as, as we continue moving forward. One of the, the programs that we created was, it's called Focus, which is basically a reskilling program. So we were able to reskill some people who may have had COBOL language skills or, or something like that, which is not as great of need now, but they're still technical and great resources. How do we reskill them potentially into cybersecurity? Um, so that was a big effort to my last year. How about the mission side or the operation side? Were they excited to have somebody who knows cybersecurity? Did that take some of the culture change and change management approaches that many technology and, 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 and you know, changes need? I think it took almost every tool in my toolkit and more. So I learned quite a bit going through it. Uh, again, social security is, you know, well-established, quite a bit of cultural inertia is what I call it. So it was really kind of conveying the, the need and benefit up front and then um, showing results really quickly um, about the benefit. And I do think that they were cautiously optimistic more than I would have guessed, but I still had people saying, you'll never get this. We'll never do this. It's impossible. So I, usually when I, when I hear that, I start to salivate because I, I do feel like I'm an agent of positive change or try to be. So I like those types of problems, those big, complex, juicy problems and, and, uh, and solving them. So in this case, we got everybody to uh, uh, agree to collaborate and, and at least try it. And I think that uh, now in some cases, the operational people will probably want it more, want more people on board uh, from a cybersecurity perspective to assist um, and help them with the mission. That leads me actually to, to my next question perfectly because, okay, you've got these people in place. They're working with operations people. What difference are they making? Maybe give me even a, a, an anecdote or example of how these folks are making a difference. And is that the way you envisioned it when you set out this is the type of program I want to set up? I love the return on investment questions because it's difficult to quantify in cyber, isn't it? So a great thing about ISOs is that they, again, they understand cyber, but they also can speak cyber, right? So they can also speak audit. And in some cases, uh, you know, cybersecurity, I think, does have a, an amazing program as a whole, a cybersecurity program. I think it's very mature. This coming from multiple different agency experiences that I've had, I think that, that SSA is well postured there. But in, in a lot of cases, audits were being managed or done locally. So, you know, we had our auditor or IG asked questions, and there was a little bit of lost in translation as it went down. Uh, but this past year, we had ESOs help facilitate and collaborate with those auditors, and we, you know, we removed quite a, quite a bit of findings there, just, I think, because they were able to speak the same language. So if they're asking for evidence of something, the ESO is like, hey, I know what you're asking for. I can get that for you, or I know who I can get that from. So I think that that showed value right up front of what they can bring to the table. Don't underestimate the value that also brings by improving your IG scores, right? Whether it's through the Federal Information Security Management Act, FISMA, or just through an annual audit, that shows up because Congress looks at it. That shows up as other people look at it in government to say, hey, SSA is really doing a nice job. And you may have said, we've always done a nice job, but now we can prove it in a, in a much better way that we're doing a nice job. Is that that's the other thing that maybe folks, uh, other sisters should, shouldn't overlook as a, as a benefit. Yeah. And I think that that is something that I've tried to do no matter where I am in my career um, is collaborating with auditors, right? It's, it's value 
that can be easily provided to a cyber program. They're selling it for you. A lot of the things that you're trying to get done or accomplish, the auditors are willing to sell it for you at that point. And so being able to collaborate and understand better, hey, where do we actually have gaps? Where, where really do we have risk mitigated in some cases too is a difficult uh, discussion to have with auditors. Uh, because how do you show that you have these things in place or risk is mitigated? I think those are conversations that pay dividends long into the future. Well, we will take a look at your FISMO report card next time it comes out. I just saw one come out recently from the Homeland Security Department. So I imagine it's that time of year when we'll see a bunch of others come. And uh, we'll, we'll make sure we give you all the credit for that, Rob. Let's take a quick break. We come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Rob Collins the former Chief Information Security Officer at the Social Security Administration, and now currently CISO at Agco Corp. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Rob Collins, the former Chief Information Security Officer at the Social Security Administration, and now currently CISO at Agco Corp. Rob, before break, we talked a lot about your time at SSA. We talked about the ID management challenges and, and successes you had, and also some of the bringing security to the business or operation side and the successes there. I want to go down a path uh, next about your time at Indian Health Service and FDA, two other jobs you had in government. When you look back at those positions and the successes there, what stands out to you? What are you most proud of? So one of my, I think, proudest accomplishments is uh, supporting Indian Health Service and really the special mission that they provide to the American Indian and Alaska Natives with healthcare. The, I think the first month that I started, they moved headquarters from Albuquerque to DC and uh, with it, all of my staff. So I think that we had a, a program at that point of three strong right after I started. And we really built that program with excellent staff and dedicated people around the mission to an award-winning program in three years. Even more than all the awards and everything, it was uh, it really was about protecting the healthcare of these communities that we served. And one of the best feelings was to go on site and receive a heartfelt thank you from from someone there just for being there and making a positive impact. It was uh, it was really fulfilling. It's a lot different of a job, if you will, or a lot different of a, a mission from SSA to go from Indian Healthcare to SSA. How big of a learning curve it? What did you learn at Indian Health? services that you could then apply to SSA? And what did you learn from FDA that you could apply to IHS? So I think you mentioned it earlier, uh, but some parts of cyber are kind of ubiquitous no matter where you go. There's definitely skill sets that uh, you hone as you go from from mission to mission. Uh, one of those, I think, is um, understanding the business and being able to speak business. What, what I usually say is I'm a businessman who speaks nerd. So I think that is a, a skill that you have to you hone of how you build these relationships, but how you also um, put cybersecurity needs and risk into a language that the business um, understands and how it relates to the mission. I think that is a a skill that I've honed over the different uh, missions I've supported. That risk conversation has gotten bigger and bigger. Was your background in cybersecurity or was your background actually in business and you picked up cyber kind of afterwards? So I've always been a nerd. But uh, I've always enjoyed business as well. So I, uh, I actually have a master's in business administration, but it was a concentration in information security. I got it from James Madison. They did a, uh, a tie-in with NSA for that degree. And I was like, man, this is right up my alley. So uh, I did that and then uh, moved to Northern Virginia and, and uh, started life as a contractor. So I, I think that really it's an integration of both for me. 
but I think that you're seeing a lot more CISOs uh, who are successful really being able to speak the big business language as well as the technical and be able to facilitate uh, between the two groups. I think that's the biggest change I've seen over the last 20 plus years of covering this space is is not just the rise of the chief information security officer, the CISO, but also what their role is and where they fit. Was that always, was that difficult from a sense of getting folks to understand that you're not just the guy in the back room looking at blinking lights, making sure that the bad guys don't, you know, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, you pick the nation state doesn't try to steal my data. Specifically after OPM, when, when that, when, when I think CISO has got a, a much bigger part in this, in this overall managing risk and securing data and information and systems. I've seen that transformation as well. I think in a lot of cases, that's why I push the transparency element. There's not really a lot of secret squirrel stuff that we do. Um, there is an element of that, sure, but there's uh, much more uh, governance and policy that in a lot of cases, people don't even know really exists. So a lot of people want to do a great job. They want to do it the best way that they can um, and support the mission because we all have the same type of mission or same mission. So I think that providing that transparency about what those requirements are up front and making them easy to understand and follow in some cases is, is most of the problem or most of the, the communication gaps. So I think being able to successfully do that and convey it in a way that they understand is um, half the problem. Let me tag back to your federal experience on that note, because I think it's important because other, again, other federal employees, other CISOs, other CIOs are listening. How did you do that, whether at SSA or or Indian Health Service or FDA? How'd you make that connection so folks understood, hey, I'm I'm speaking business here, even though I'm I'm creating governance and policies that's going to make your job better, easier, more effective? So I think the more you can understand the business, the better situated you are to not be accused of making decisions in an ivory tower or something like that. So for me, it's always been, you know, boots on the ground. I want to go and see how our mission is executed, whether it be at a, uh, you know, one room clinic at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, you know, at IHS or these multi-bed modern hospitals that are also that exist. So understanding the full breadth and scope of the business and how it gets met, I think is critical. But during that time, you also build those coalitions and, uh, and relationships that are really needed. And I think that uh, people in a leadership position in cyber will quickly show value of what they bring to the table and will really become a trusted advisor that it's not like, you know, I don't want to tell this person because then they're going to tell me no, which was kind of the old way, right? The office of no being security. I think that really good cyber programs become the office of yes, if, right? We can get there. Let's just put this in place. You know, if you guys are able to do this or, or whatever, we can get there. Yeah. I always remember the joke, the CIO, no, don't be the CIO. No, it's always going to be figure out how to get to yes. And then with, within the set of parameters, what's the biggest challenge for a CISO these days beyond some of the obvious, we know workforce is tough. We know that the never ending cyber threats, the service, the attack service, but from your experience at SSA and other agencies, what do you think CISOs, what are among the biggest challenges CISOs face? think that uh, will change, obviously, depend on, depending on who you ask. But uh, I mean, it really is a dynamic landscape that we face. Constantly changing threat environment, different vectors of compromise that we didn't know exist. I think that there are some really strong things in play to assist with that, like zero trust, 
having an understanding of exactly what's on your network and why and who it belongs to, I think is going to uh, be a game changer as far as maturity um, in security. But uh, I think that there are other elements, of course, as I mentioned before, with the business side, understanding the, the changing business needs and how you know cyber impacts it. It's just a, it, it really is a, uh, a constant changing environment that you have to stay aware of. And I think that that really is a challenge. And the challenge of the constantly changing environment is because today the concern is brute force attack and tomorrow the, the concern is ransomware and the next day it's a phishing attack. Is that what you mean by constantly changing or even more I mean, or on top of that, you have the mission changes. Congress comes with a new piece of legislation that makes SSA do something different or the, the technology, hey, we're going to move to the cloud now. Like, how do you stay ahead of it when these changes come at you a mile a minute? It's on top of. So it's both, right? Before it was easy to block certain country IP ranges. Can't do that anymore, right? Now everything comes from usually... Uh, a cloud provider, which I will not mention, <laughs> but it's really easy for, you know, different entities to set up cloud environments and, and position attacks from that vendor. You're seeing most of the attacks occur there now. So you can't even block like ranges of IP. It has to be real time getting threat alerts and how that actually that threat intelligence is acted upon in your agency. But it is also the latter part too of, you know, these environments are constantly changing internally as well as different things move to the cloud. I think that having strong governance is the first step. Having a strong enterprise architecture function to, you know, shepherd different requests for information technology and also loop in your cyber programs. That's also where that trusted advisor comment comes into play. If you can show value and show that you're that trusted advisor, that function, people will come to you with those questions in advance. So you can actually get ahead of it in a lot of cases. Sure, you're going to get the one-offs, but as much as you can mitigate that as possible, the more sane I think you'll end up being. With all the changes that we've seen in the federal community over the last couple of years, What's been the, the one piece that for you that's kept SSA ahead of, as much as you can be ahead, ahead of those challenges? What have you been able to do to ensure that the, the data, the systems, everything else is, is as secure as it can be? So we collaborate with a lot of entities, internal and external, to ensure the posture remains mature and that we're constantly changing. Uh, so, of course, the CDM program, through DHS, uh, we were early adopters of that. We also have them, you know, conduct tests regularly and often. I guess we're the guinea pigs for some of the, the different types of initiatives that they're trying to push government-wide just because it's, you know, hey, we, we'd rather know about risks uh, early than kind of have our head-in-the-sand approach that I've seen at other organizations. So, you know, I think that has been something that uh, we constantly, again, try to have a handle on uh, is what is up and coming as well as, uh, you know, we, we work with different contractors as well. Some of the ones that are best in the business we've worked with and had them come in, especially after some of like the solar winds attacks and things like that. Uh, we have them on retainer to say, Hey, we, you know, just in case, you know, something does come up, we want you to look at everything, lift up all the rugs, check all the shelves for dust. You know, it, it really is a constant engagement with the different uh, entities to ensure that we, are doing everything that we can within risk management. That idea of risk management, you brought that up earlier, and, and I want to just kind of touch upon that briefly. From a CISO's perspective, 
walk me through the way you, you look at managing risk, because I think we talk a lot about, oh, you got to manage risk, you got to understand your risks, you got to put mitigation things in place. But from a system's perspective, everything's a risk. So how do you achieve a, the right balance of risk versus reward versus, you know, this is a low risk, this is a high risk, this is a, a critical risk? Sometimes that changes over what the problem is, um, or at least it should change and you should adapt, adapt to different um, functions. But I mean, at the end of the day, it is risk equals likelihood times impact. Yes, there are different machinations that you can add or, or uh, quantifiers that you can, or qualifiers that you can add to it. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, it is trying to quantify risk as, as best you can to provide informed decision-making to whomever is making those decisions. One thing that I say is um, it's usually you don't see value in a cyber program unless it's negative when something goes bad. But being able to provide value up front with your cyber organization, I think, is is key to being successful. And that means that you're showing um, a lot of times this quantification of, hey, uh, we need to enact these mitigations in place because the potential you know, net negative is, is this, X millions or reputation or whatever else. But if we can mitigate something and it costs this, then you know, we're, we're actually saving reputation or money or, or some aspects. So I think that, you know, trying to drive an organization to value helps with that narrative. I think what's really important is that value piece. Again, you, you can never prove the negative, but hey, if this does happen, here's the, the potential long-term impact from a cost of reputation and the other side of it. Rob, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can uh, finish up our conversation. My guest today is Rob Collins, the former Chief Information Security Officer at the Social Security Administration, and now currently CISO at Agco Corp. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Rob Collins, the former Social Security Administration's Chief Information Security Officer and currently CISO at Agco Corp. Rob, in the last segment, we ended up talking a lot about risk and how to kind of mitigate risk, but also uh, show value of cybersecurity uh, and, and drive kind of the risk management approach. Let's talk maybe a little more broadly and, and look at the, the current state of cybersecurity across the federal government and the private sector. When you, when you look across maybe the federal government, what's the one or two things you look at and say, hey, if we could only improve upon that, that would make a big difference, or, or if that could only get updated or changed, is there anything that stands out to you? Off the top. One of the biggest uh, things that I think are an area for improvements uh, is privacy and its integration with cybersecurity. I think that the, the U.S. still relies on a piece of legislation from 1974, Privacy Act of 1974, um, when IT was pretty much a printer in the corner, if that. Uh, now it's much more a driver of business, and I think that uh, you know I think the conversation needs to to continue or. Uh, start on legislation or something to change that. I think that we need to be looking at the future of integration of digital uh, cybersecurity and privacy. And um, yeah, that's one of the big reasons why I'm excited about the new gig is that I get to um, experience and learn uh, a different countries' uh, policies around privacy, like GDPR, things like that. So yeah, I, I think that an area that integration with cybersecurity and privacy and how it relates to risk um, is something that uh, can definitely be uh, matured. 
Over the last few years, we've seen attempts to mature this kind of outside of Congress, of course. Uh, NIST 853 has a much, they keep adding privacy layers and, and privacy pieces to it. Is that helping? Do you get a sense that CISOs and, and others in the technology community are understanding the interconnection between cyber and privacy? Excellent point about 853. It's, it's one that I make as well. You are seeing a lot more uh, push from National Institute of Standards and Technology uh, related to privacy controls. I think that, yes, it's needed but I think it's still a little unclear of how that relates to um, all sectors and how the integration really is going to happen from a risk management approach. So especially if privacy is in, you know, your, your law shop or your general counsel shop where cybersecurity is in your IT shop, um, there are some difficulties there with aligning the testing and the evaluation procedures for ensuring those controls are in place and operating as intended. So, yeah, I think that there's some maturity that needs to occur there. From your experience in government, most of the time was privacy outside of the IT shop or was there a chief privacy officer who wore the hat of the CIO, also wore the hat of the chief FOIA officer who wore the hat of you get my draft? Yeah, it's often other duties is assigned. Um, most of the time, it is not aligned. I know there are some agencies that do align the chief information security officer with the chief privacy officer. Uh, but in my experience, they, they haven't been in the same shop. So it, it really just was more collaboration that was needed. Um, but with the latest iteration of 853, I mean, you're seeing some drastic additions to privacy controls. So that's really going to be a game changer of how work gets done uh, and how it's funded moving forward. The other side of privacy that you hear a lot about when it comes to cybersecurity is, and Congress is starting to look at this now, which is this idea of incident reporting. There's been a lot of focus on it since SolarWinds and some of the other incidents that we've seen over the last year. Is that connection, is that why you think maybe privacy is becoming more important because of the number of incidents, the number of, of challenges that, that, that cybersecurity has that if you don't have that right balance, the right integration, you either A, could miss something that's really important or B, over-report something that's not so important, but now you feel like you have to tell everybody everything and that could cause some other challenges. Yeah, I think it's kind of all of the above there. Um, I, I think there are challenges in setting the appropriate thresholds um, and baselines for what you report on. Um, if you report too much, then everything gets lost. If you report too little, then, you know, you have some entities or individuals that are uh, going to be impacted and not know about it. So I think that, you know, the private sector, they have that uh, financial uh, vested interest in ensuring that these controls are in place and protecting customers. Uh, the federal, you are relying on, of course, you know, agency reputation and, and the security controls from this 853. So, yeah, I think that as a whole, the space is to mature more around the uh, integration of all of this data that we're getting from tools, how it's analyzed, and then how it's reported out. So ensuring that we have the appropriate level of uh, report outs, I think is going to be an a interesting challenge moving forward or opportunity moving forward. I was about to say, I think a little bit of both, challenge and opportunity. Robert, just out of time before I let you go, do you want to touch upon the workforce issue? I think that's the other big challenge a lot of CISOs face. 
How have you, whether at SSA or other places in government, how have you helped overcome that challenge of the workforce, meaning training, upskilling, reskilling? And then what would you like to see addressed from a workforce perspective going forward in, in government? And I always like talking about workforce, so um, happy to, to, to get a, a question on it. I think that uh, I've always had success in hiring people who may not already have the skills, but were hungry and wanted to learn, um, and then providing them the skills training um, that they would need to accomplish the job. I think that uh, I've definitely had much more return on investments there by hiring the people who are hungry to learn cyber. Uh, than necessarily hiring somebody who has, you know, 18 certifications and been doing the job for, you know, however long. So I, I think that uh, enabling um, leaders in the space to make that decision um, does require some collaboration with HR because, of course, you know, federal employees are all the merit system and there's, uh, you know, very strict rules and everything else. Uh, some of that is helped with direct hire authority. Um, and of course, my disclaimer, always act within, you know, the law, you know, I always, always try to follow the, uh, the strict letter of the law with hiring and money. Um, but uh, I, I think that the more we can collaborate there with HR to an understanding of, of what it is that we actually need in cyber, uh, I think does uh, pay dividends. Um, so yeah, I've had a lot of success just hiring hungry people and teaching them. Um, but I think that uh, also moving forward, being able to hire skills and talents where they are. Um, rather than just limiting the pool of I'm only going to look in this specific area. I think being able to expand that and allowing workers to work where, wherever it is that they are, I think is going to be a game changer. And I think the pandemic has kind of forced that hand to allow us to do that. Um, so it's going to be interesting um, seeing how uh, the talent pool changes as we move forward. All right, Rob, uh, I think we could talk a lot longer, but this has been a great conversation. So let me thank my guest. Rob Collins is the former Chief Information Security Officer at the Social Security Administration, and now currently the CISO at AgCode Corp. Rob, thanks so much for taking the time today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 